Welcome to ADHD Rewired. This is episode number one. This is the show designed to help those of us who have really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. Whether you have ADHD and you want to learn more about it, or you are looking for ways to organize your time, your things, or the many details of life so you can get more done, this show is for you. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and consultant. I am your host, and I have ADHD. We know that starting can be the hardest part, so let's get started. I am so excited to finally be starting and launching my first episode. One of the things that we know can be hard when you have ADHD is starting. So that's one of the things I'm going to talk about today. This is an ADHD podcast, so episode number one is going to be all about starting, and I'm going to take a spin off of that and talk to you about how I started and my ADHD journey. So I have a lot of big ideas, uh, as many people with ADHD often do. One of the problems with big ideas is that it could be hard to get started. At home, I have on my I have a big dry erase board in my office, and on there I have some of my big things that I'm really wanting to be focused on and thinking about. I have had on my dry erase board the word podcast for three and a half years, uh, circled on there. And I think about it all the time, and I have finally started. So this is episode one. As I am learning how to do this, and there are still certainly things that I still need to learn how to do, um, You know, I'm going to be trying to stay with a pretty consistent format. I am going to try to make this a weekly show. The show will be somewhere between 25 to 35 minutes for each episode. Each episode, I'm hoping to cover a different topic and explore areas of how we can understand what we can do differently uh, living with ADHD. Uh, Before we even get started, let me kind of tell you a little bit about me and how I started. It all started a long time ago. No. So let's see. When I was in college, uh, my freshman year of college, uh, first semester, you know, it was great. I had I had freedom. I had um, I had books. I just didn't open them. Uh, I was very busy doing the things that college freshmen do. But my first semester, um, I finished with a GPA of two point two. Not so good. So being that my parents were were um, helping. Um, okay, let's be honest. They were paying for my college. And uh, they had told me, if I don't get my grades up, I'm coming home. Um, well, that's a, uh, a definite motivator because at that time, I didn't really want to be uh, living at home. I mean, what, what could it, at 18 years old, when they're away at college, wants to uh, leave that experience? I, I sure know I didn't. I decided to open up the books and see how that went. So the results of that were, I got a 1.8. 
Ooh. Well, one of the the challenges or one of the strengths of uh, ADHD sometimes can be the ability to be persuasive. I was able to convince my parents for one more chance. There was, I lost some uh, grant money because of my grades, um, but it was possible if I were to get my grades back up the following semester that my, my grant could be reinstated. So I looked at that as an opportunity. And that opportunity was this. Um, I'm also a musician, um, or as I like to say, I was a musician in my former life, um, or I used to play music a lot uh, more frequently than I do now. So I really wanted to play music uh, professionally, and that's really what I wanted to do. I felt that music was something that, that was my gift. Um, It just kind of came naturally to me. So I tried to say, okay, there was this keyboard that I really wanted, and it had a uh, fairly hefty price tag on it. The The grant money that, that I had lost but could get reinstated if I got my grades up um, was also about $2,000. So I said to my parents, if I can get my grades up next semester, we can use that money and we can get that keyboard. That would keep me really motivated to, to stay focused. Um, and because, you know, the idea of failing out of school um, really didn't sound good to anyone, including my parents. Um, they reluctantly agreed. So I went back to, to school. I went back about a, a week before uh, the semester started. And I, uh, I sat down. Uh, I, had, I sat down with a friend. I actually went out to dinner with a, a friend. Um, and she was telling me about her summer. And uh, one of the things that she told me about um, was that she was diagnosed with, with ADHD and was, uh, was given medication for it. She was telling me about it and about how she was really struggling with school and that, you know, she, um, you know, she couldn't concentrate on what she was reading and she'd have to reread things over and over again and that she, you know, all these other things. And it was that light bulb moment. And I really I knew right then that what she was describing was me. That was one of the most significant probably days in my life. And one thing that actually makes me sad is I don't actually remember who it was that I had that dinner with. I think her name was Jen, but I'm not 100% sure. So if by chance you are the person that had this dinner with me and you're listening to this and you know what I'm talking about, can you please call me or contact me? Because I want to thank you and I want to talk to you. And I don't know any other way to uh, reach out to try to find out who this person is. I did try a few years ago and I emailed someone at Bradley um, that I thought I had this dinner with. And she uh, wrote back very kindly that this was not her. So if you go to Bradley... And you can recall having this this conversation with me. And for all I know, it wasn't even at Bradley. Maybe I made that part up. If you remember, I think it was the summer of 2000 or 2001. Having a dinner with someone, I think it was at an Italian restaurant with me. And you're listening to this. 
I would love to to take you off a coffee or something. Um, I want to be able to say thank you because uh, that dinner that day changed my life. So with this aha light bulb moment, I uh, I made an appointment with the um, at the our school health center um, at at Bradley University, and um, I I met with uh, a doctor there. Um, and he, he did some assessment, uh, concluded that I indeed had ADHD. And the reason that, uh, it was not caught was because I didn't have the hyperactivity that, that, you know, people often think of when they think of ADHD. It's kind of a confusing idea that you could have ADHD without the H. So what I have is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, uh, the inattentive subtype, or now in the new DSM-5, it would now be called inattentive uh, presentation because we know that the presentation does not, uh, doesn't stay over time. So we know that kids who are hyperactive uh, often decrease hyperactivity uh, into their adulthood. So enough about everybody else. I'm talking about me right now. Uh, okay, so I got that diagnosis, and uh, I was I was given a prescription for Adderall. And here's here's the thing: I got this prescription for Adderall, and uh, I started with a, a 10 milligram dose, and um, it worked really well in the beginning. And uh, I needed to increase my dose because it stopped, uh, just wasn't seeming to work very well after only about a week or two. So I increased my dose and it was continuing to work pretty well. Now, here's here's what I wanted to say about that. I um, it worked really well. It actually the one of the first thoughts that I remember having, which was actually really emotional, uh, even still when I when I talk about it, I I get uh, a little bit choked up. I get that physiological those this tingles in the body that you get when you really feel something. I felt normal for the first time. It's kind of a hard thing to to really explain until you uh, until you experience it. The idea of feeling normal for the first time. It was like I had this cloud in my brain my entire life, and I took this pill, and this pill uh, made the cloud kind of go away, and the sun shined through. You know, it was I. I was reading uh, my my textbooks, and I retained what I read. It, it used to be that I would read, and then whatever I was reading, it would trigger a thought, and that thought would trigger another thought, and another thought. And what am I talking about? Oh yeah, it never occurred to me that I should stop reading when I was thinking about you know the five thousand other things. And what I found was I was reading and I was thinking about what I was reading. And if I were to start thinking about something else, I realized it right away. And I was able to, to recognize that and had that self-awareness to, to pause and either write down that thought so I can go back to what I was reading. So, you know, I, I say in all sincerity that Adderall saved my life. I have no idea where I would be if I did not get that diagnosis uh, and if I did not take medication for it. That was kind of my starting point of uh, an ADHD. So it's it's so interesting, though, because based on the criteria of ADHD, they say, well, you know, you have to have symptoms in childhood. 
So as a uh, as a social worker, um, I kind of wanted to investigate. Um, well, what was my childhood like? You know, unfortunately, uh, part of ADHD is we have really bad memories. So I dug up my educational files, and as I was looking through my educational files. The thing that I just wondered was, how did they not think I had ADHD? All the the comments that the teachers would write was, um, is disorganized, is smart but doesn't apply himself, uh, is inconsistent, sloppy. Uh, I still remember having to... to stay after school to clean out my desk in first grade um, frequently. How it was uh, not caught is beyond me. It was all right there. I mean, I actually went through the the DSM criteria based on the the comments that were indicated in uh, in all my school records, and it was there. I met the criteria just based on my school records. But even still today, ADHD is a an exceptionally misunderstood disorder. It's also a very villainized disorder. If you read things in like the the New York Times and and other uh, media outlets, you would think that ADHD is still something that uh, there's not a full consensus on. That it's it's a made up disorder, um, and that we're giving you know all these kids dangerous drugs. You know, the thing that's frustrating is that ADHD is a real disorder. It is not a something that is a creation of our uh, current society, of our current times. I'm kind of a, a research geek. I like to read uh, a lot of the journals. And uh, there's a researcher uh, named Russell Barkley, who's kind of a, a leader in the field of ADHD. And one of the things that, uh, that he discovered and wrote about was that in the 1700s, there was a, a medical manuscript that talked about all of the features of ADHD. I don't remember the, the exact uh, name that they called it, but it, you know, one of the things that really caught my attention was how they described the inconsistency of performance of behavior. Um, and some of the recommendations, and this is in the 1700s, were things like removing distractions or things like exercise, things like, I think one of the things was was what we would now call um, equestrian or, or hippotherapy, which uses horses. That could be helpful for, for some people. Um, they also had things like isolation in dark rooms. Um, that would not fly today. But, you know, here's the thing. This was written about in the 1700s, and even then... Uh, it, he would this guy that wrote it was was villainized and peers um, ostracized him. Um, so this there is a um, editorial in the Journal of Attention Disorders. I don't recall uh, when it was it was about a year or two ago. So anyways, this is a real disorder. Why saying that this is this made up disorder is seems to be so popular, both not true. ADHD is one of the most researched uh, disorders in all of psychiatry. It's often competing against uh, one of the most villainized disorders in all of um, the media. So those are that's my two cents, and, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that uh, in, in future episodes of this podcast. But I think I just went on a tangent. So I was talking about my path and my history a little bit. My sophomore year in college, I finally figured out that I had ADHD. 
I was started taking Adderall. And uh, that first semester that uh, I was on Adderall for the entire semester, I finished with a 3.75. Now, I had never gotten grades like that in my entire life. I kind of had this belief that that would not be possible for me, uh, even though I knew that I was smart, but I didn't really understand uh, how I was smart. You know, sure, there now now there's a caveat to that. When it comes to math, uh, that's not one of my strengths. Math is is one of my uh, my challenges. I think it took me three attempts to uh, to get through college math before I passed it with a C. So, but through all of these things, through all these challenges, the thing that uh, was most important for me was that I was figuring out that, oh, this is why things were hard and I can do better. I can be successful. I'm, I'm not stupid. And, you know, this was the first time in my life that I was really feeling that. That's, I mean, that was powerful stuff. So my uh, sophomore year, I was exploring some classes in communications. Um, no, let me take that back. My freshman year, I was taking classes in communications, and I was not doing so well in that. And I also kind of felt that communications courses that I was taking was kind of um, training and teaching me how do I manipulate the public. And just where I was at that time, that, was, that wasn't uh, sitting really well with me. It's with me much better now. Um, so I had a friend that said, hey, why don't you take a, an intro to social work course? And I did. And this is a class that I think most people find boring because it's all about ethics. And I really liked it. It really spoke to me. It was interesting to me. And that was uh, was where I, when I, for the first time in my life, I liked school. I liked reading. I liked learning. Really enjoyed it. Um, and so the combination of finding the thing that I liked to do and, you know, the area of interest and Adderall changed my life. I was being successful in school. You know, that was that was clutch. And I, I stayed the course in school and in the social work path and finished, graduated uh, from Bradley. Uh, it took me five years and that's fine. And then I went on to get my master's at the University of Illinois at Chicago. I finished that program with a 4.0. That's probably one of my greatest accomplishments. You know, both in, well, definitely in my undergrad, I would describe myself as the hardest working least efficient student there was. You know, I was taking this medication now and now I can concentrate and I was interested. Um, so that, I mean, that was really important, but I, I didn't have the skills yet. I didn't, uh, I didn't have the, uh, the strategies in place to really help me be productive. So there's that, there's a saying that pills don't give you skills, but they can help you focus enough to learn them. So you know, my journey has been a lot of self-discovery, and I really didn't get into learning about ADHD uh, really, I think, towards the very end of college. I think my first book on ADHD was uh, one of Hallowell's books. Uh, I think it was Driven by Distraction. And, it, you know, it's one of those things where, oh, you're reading about something that basically written about you. So then I really dug in and really uh, tried to increase uh, my self-awareness and develop strategies. 
so that brought me to uh, to grad school. I found an area of my own interest and focus in grad school, and I succeeded, and I liked being a student. My first semester, you know, I tried to read everything, and in grad school, you have to read about 500 pages a week to keep up with everything, and I did it first semester. I realized that I need to learn to skim and learn how there are things that I need to, to be more uh, efficient with. So that was my journey through school. There's one more thing, too, about uh, when I was in grad school that I think I want to share. So um, my, uh, my second semester, I was, at a, uh, I was at a good high school doing an uh, internship as a school social worker. The reason I wanted to get into this particular school was because they had a, a, a very high uh, autism population, and that was one of my uh, areas of interest. Um, and so I wanted to work at this school, which I did. And I got fired from my internship. Now, looking back on it, I the lesson that I learned from that is that I may have been right according to my profession's ethical code, but I was also fired. Schools are political places, and the right thing is not always the same thing that's going to keep your job. However, I think that I did the right thing. I had a boss who people uh, would want to know what kind of mood he was in before bringing him an issue. And I'm kind of an idealist, you know. So anyways, I kind of got the brunt of his emotional uh, outburst. And he, it was kind of like a scene from a movie where he kind of put his uh, knuckles down and uh, told me that he's never had an intern, uh, let alone a social worker, be so insubordinate. And all I was trying to do was ask him a question uh, about a, a theoretical or hypothetical situation. Um, and he just wanted to know who this uh, student was that I was asking if something could potentially be done for. And it wasn't that I was going to uh, not share the information, but I just wanted to understand uh, how to protect the student's confidentiality in the role of, in his position, is that something that I would typically share? But he wouldn't even let me get that answer or, or that question out. Um, and he fired me right there. So it really stung at the time. I, uh, uh, it was really hard, but I learned so much through that process. Additionally, it also taught me a few weeks. Uh, it took me about four weeks to land another internship, uh, which was a really stressful period of time because I was concerned I wasn't going to graduate on time. And so I found this awesome internship uh, at this school in Chicago, and where it was, it was a fine arts school. And they have a pretty large autism population. The social worker that I was being supervised by Sandy Schwartz was working on her uh, doctorate using, uh, she, was, she was studying using music to achieve joint attention with kids with autism. So as a musician, um, this was the perfect situation for me. So it was really, it really was a great internship. But even in this uh, pretty progressive school, I still also found that school politics can be challenging. And, you know, I'm the type of person that I have opinions and I'm not so good about keeping those to myself. And, you know, I kind of think that we should do things based on science and what is actually best for uh, for students, not necessarily what just makes parents feel good. 
So, you know, I realized that maybe working in the schools really wasn't going to be the right place for me. So I now do consult with uh, some schools and uh, and I like that because I can share my uh, thoughts and uh, opinions freely. I don't have that conflict of interest of, uh, oh, if I say something, I'm afraid I might get fired. Um, that's fine. People are, if I'm working for a school, they're hiring me for my expertise. And that's a position that I'm quite comfortable uh, with. So uh, I am my own boss. I've opened up. Uh, I opened up my practice, uh, Tivers Clinical Specialties, in 2010, um, and that also was quite a journey as well. So um, I was working for a, a behavioral clinic, uh, working primarily with kids with autism, and I um, was working there for I think about a year. Uh, you know, details and, and ADHD. Eh, these things get foggy. So my wife and I, we, we closed on our home on a Monday and on Friday of that week, I was laid off. I had just a few weeks prior to that, I just got my, uh, my clinical licensure. The, the, from the clinic perspective, they were going to have to pay me more. Couldn't afford to. Um, so I was laid off. So I didn't really have time to panic. What I did was, you know, while working, looking for some work, I also tried to start my practice, which I did. And I haven't turned back and I wouldn't want to do it any other way. That's that's kind of the nutshell version with lots of holes and gaps in between my work with ADHD and autism comes together through this. You know, us ADHDers, we're not linear thinkers. I'm going to back up into this little space in between after I graduated from undergrad to before I started college. I worked at a therapeutic day school and residential treatment center, and I was that's when I got introduced into autism. Uh, I really, really fell in love with it. And I was working with these two kids uh, in residential who were um, you know, what would be considered kind of classic autism. Um, these kids never got much early intervention. You know, there's one of the, there's a 10-year-old boy that was nonverbal, 10-year-old girl um, who had some language, but both of them were really just not regulated, very, uh, a lot of aggressive behaviors. Uh, my first day working with them, basically was working through an eight-hour tantrum. And because I have ADHD, that excited me. I was so interested because I've never seen behaviors like this. And so I immediately kind of dug into the research. I started learning about it. And I I totally looked forward to going to work and really just, just connected with these kids and found that I was you know pretty good at it. One of the things that I also realized is that, you know, ADHD and autism aren't that different from each other. And there's so much overlap between the two. One of the main things that I noticed at first was, as far as what, what's similar, is the difficulties these kids had with transitioning. Now, when these kids were to, to transition, the, the challenges that they had were, you know, they would have complete meltdowns and they were engaged in self-injurious behaviors. I mean, it was it was heartbreaking, but it was also, you know, the, that thought of, whoa, this is really hard for these these kids. This is uh, really kind of throwing them off. And then I'm looking at myself thinking, wow, I stink at transitioning. I it takes me a really, really long time to get myself going uh, to the next thing. I'm often the last one to 
to leave a place. You know, it's at the end of the day, I, I stay at my office uh, really later than, than I want to because it's just that transition process. There's so many steps that are involved in it that, that uh, it really poses quite a challenge. So that was one of the similarities that I saw. And, you know, the more I was working with kids who were on the autism spectrum, um, I realized how many similarities there were between them and, and, uh, and ADHD. So here I am. I've, in my practice, I bridge these two. I work with individuals with, with high-functioning autism or Asperger's syndrome, although it's not called that anymore. Uh, time will tell on whether or not that word goes away. Um, I think that it may be something similar to ADD. ADD has not been a medical diagnosis uh, for about 30 years, or many of us still use it, um, to describe the inattentive subtype of ADHD. So, you know, I think language does matter, but I guess time will tell as to what, what we'll call it. Anyways, this is not a podcast about autism. This is a show about ADHD by somebody with ADHD. So there may be some tangents about autism and other related things like squirrels, and shiny things. This is a show about ADHD tips and strategies. Okay, let me uh, give you a strategy that will help you with starting. One of the things that makes it hard for people to start is that they don't know what their first step is, or they haven't really defined what it is that they need to do. Uh, So for example, let's say you know you have to make an appointment with your doctor. So you put it on a list, uh, doctor. Well, what, first of all, what about the doctor? Is, Is it that you need to call the doctor? Okay, so you have call the doctor on your list, but it's been still on your list for a few days, maybe a week, maybe two months. I know I've had items on my list for that long because I was not clear about what I actually needed to do. So maybe the the thing that you actually need to do is that you need to look up the phone number of your doctor. Or maybe you don't have a doctor, so you would need to research doctors. And there's a lot of steps involved in there. Are you going to do that on the internet? Are you going to ask uh, friends or family for a referral? Are you going to call the uh, the number on the back of your insurance card? So there's there's lots of different components to that. You know, an example that I like to give because it's very concrete is the idea of when we have to empty the dishwasher. So, okay, let's say we have to empty the dishwasher, but we really, really don't want to do it. I mean, does anyone really want to empty the dishwasher? Um, if you do, give me a call. I might have a job for you. So, anyways, um, uh, <laughs> I love what I lose track of what I'm saying when I'm not funny but trying to be. Um, okay. So emptying the dishwasher. So you have to empty the dishwasher. What is the first step that's involved in emptying the dishwasher? The first step is going to be to be there, to be in front of the dishwasher. Now it's not to start putting the dishes away. It's to actually bring your body to the place where the dishwasher is. Okay, so you're standing in front of the dishwasher, you're looking at it, you're kind of staring it down, and you're saying, okay, I can do this, but you're really just not feeling like it. So what's the next step? Open the dishwasher. Continue this thought process. Okay, you still don't want to do it. What's the next step? 
uh, pull out one of the racks. Still feeling like you don't want to do it? Put one dish away. Usually by this point, you can keep going. But that's the thing. What is the next step that's going to move you in the direction of completion? You know, success is not about did you check everything off the list? Did you meet that deadline on time? To me, success is about going in the direction towards your goals. You know, it's it's about it's about making progress. You know, I think I heard this on another podcast about that success is a direction. I wish I could remember what show I heard that on or who said it so I can give them credit, but I can't remember. Can't remember names. Um, you know, I can't wait for for Google Glass to be uh, something that we can all get. Because to me, the idea of being able to have this little thing uh, on my glasses and people's names will be pushed to me—that's amazing. I stink at names, so if if I can get that information pushed to me right at the point of performance. Um, which is a a concept that kind of means that the reminder is at that place where you need to perform that specific action. So we'll talk about points of performance and so much more on future episodes of this podcast. Well, podcast listeners, you have just listened to the first 32 minutes of ADHD Rewired. I'd love to hear from you. Do you have a question or ADHD-related challenge? You can contact me through my website, ADHDrewired.com, and click on podcast. Email me your questions or call me and leave a message. I will answer your questions and share your ADHD stories, strategies, and struggles on upcoming shows. Help ADHD Rewired jump to new and noteworthy on iTunes faster than I can spot a squirrel off my meds by going to iTunes and giving ADHD Rewired a review and a five-star rating. This will help ADHD Rewired turn into a nice shiny object at the top of iTunes, making it much easier for others with ADHD to find. I know what it's like to have really good intentions, so try this strategy so you don't forget. Remind me when I get home to leave ADHD Rewired a good review and a five-star rating. One sec. Here's your reminder for when you get home. Shall I create it? Okay, I'll remind you. This is Eric Tivers reminding you, keep learning, keep growing, and always do your best. And yes, your best will be different every day. Until next time.